following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We are at minute 21 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how you doing? I am cowering beneath the awesomeness that is Ming the Merciless. It's so fun. We get we get some Ming, and uh, yeah, it's always great to have some Ming. Uh, and we, we have a, a very exciting guest. We've got Niall McGowan, and he is our first international guest. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I didn't realize I was the first international guest. I like, oh. I think we have people from New Jersey, and that kind of counts because it feels like <laughs> a different planet. <laughs> I'm really excited when you said the minutes because not only – is it like, oh, it's the introduction, or the, the proper introduction, I guess you should say, of Ming. But it also introduces another one of the, the characters in the film. That I was like, oh, shit. I got to talk about him as well. This is amazing. So, oh, yeah. Uh, you, you, got a gr- you got a really choice week. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so thanks for having me here for these particular minutes. Where, where, let our guests know what your internationalness is. Where, where are you joining us from? I myself am Irish, but I'm uh, calling in from Liverpool in England. Where can you be found on the interwebs? Uh, you're, you're a member of the Minute by Minute family. What, what, uh, and a, a great movie that you have, so why don't you share that a little, just real quick before we dive in. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I am one of the hosts of Bat Minute 89, and we're doing what you guys are doing, but we're doing it with Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie at first. And then, because uh, we're nearly wrapped up that, actually, and we're going to be moving on to do Batman Returns and then Forever and Batman Robin. It's like, you know, three years or so. So, uh, wow. yeah, we're having, a, we're having a fantastic time over there. Uh, as I say, I keep thinking, because we're so, we've been so close to the end of recording it for so long now, I keep thinking, like, oh, we're nearly wrapped up. But I think there's a good month left to go. So we might still be doing the first movie. <laughs> by the time this airs, but uh, we'll be very near the end. That's going to be a job that's going to keep getting harder and harder with each movie. Well, I'm actually like really, really looking forward to Batman and Robin, because like, if nothing else, there is something to talk about every movie. <laughs> Good or bad, there's something going on there that you can be like, what, what's happening here? There uh, are a lot of talking points with that, so that is true. You're going to have fun with it, although eh, it's a movie that didn't succeed too much. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, come on. It's when Arnold gets to say, chill out. Uh, <laughs> so we're we're in a unique recording cir- circumstance today. Uh, we have uh, Niall com- calling from uh, over the pond. We have Eric on his cell phone. I myself am recording today from my laptop in a parking garage in Baltimore. <laughs> in a minivan with my five-year-old son, and my uh, golden retriever dog. We're, we're trying to sell our house. We have a showing at this time. It happened last minute, so uh, I was like, "Well, I, and because it's it's been a little bit tricky to get this uh, recording set up, I cancel." So uh, my wife is in the Baltimore Aquarium with two of our kids, and I'm hanging out here with uh, my younger son Logan and our dog Boomer. Uh, and uh, you know, it's going to be a unique listening experience for our fans. So uh, enjoy. Yes, folks, we, this, we, we show the dedication that we have to bringing you this incredible show with, with this week. I have to say, like, I'm intrigued by 
you being from Baltimore, because, like, two of my favorite shows are, like, The Wire and Hannibal. And both of them are set in Baltimore, but showing you completely different sides of the spectrum in terms of, like, you know, rough inner city life. And then, like, oh, it's also filled with, like, very aesthetically pleasing, uh, sophisticated uh, cannibal psychopaths who happen to be psychiatrists. It's a, a representation of Baltimore as a city. It's just like, what the hell is going on over there? It's a crazy town. It's so beautiful, but also it's kind of dangerous and a lot of good block, bad block that happens, which happens with any major city. Uh, they filmed some incredible TV shows here. As you mentioned, The Wire, uh, which also tied into a great show, Homicide. They also did a lot of filming of House of Cards, the American version of House of Cards. A lot of that is filmed in Baltimore, and I know people who have been extras on that show, as well as a, a good friend of ours uh, was an extra on an episode of The Wire. So we, and he, he had a, like a viewing party at his house. Like, watch, watch. And there he was walking down a subway station. It's like, there I am, there I am. It's like, we're really having a viewing party for this? <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know. I, think I, I would be having like a, like anniversary screenings and everything. If I was on the wire, I'd be like bringing it up every damn opportunity I could. Oh yeah, definitely. If it, the situation were reversed, I'd be walking around with a DVD player like sewn into the front of my shirt so everyone could see me over and over again walking in the subway on the wire. So, but we're not here to talk about the wire, although that would be a pretty good show. We're here to talk about Flash Gordon in its minute twenty-one. And Eric, why don't you why don't you recap us? Yeah, well, as Niall hinted out, we got two big introductions here in this minute. And the first one, in the, in the first couple of seconds, everybody's just about favorite character in this movie, Voltan, finally shows up, played by the immortal Brian Blessed, who everybody loves. I mean, I don't know anyone that likes this movie that does not love Voltan and Brian Blessed. He's just one of the most amazing human beings on the planet. And what's crazy is Voltan's such a, uh, an over-the-top ridiculous, uh, larger-than-life character. And honestly, I think it's Brian Blessed downplaying himself. Oh, absolutely. He is, I, I, it, on his Wikipedia page, he is a major badass. Here, here, here are this man's accomplishments, all right? He has attempted to climb Mount Everest three times without supplemental oxygen, although he never reached the summit. He is the oldest man to go to the North Magnetic Pole on foot. He has completed 800 hours of space training at Star City in Russia. And here's the capper. In 2015, at the age of 78, he collapsed on stage during a performance of King Lear, received medical attention from a doctor in the audience, and returned to the stage to complete the play 20 minutes later. I'm not too sure how big he is in the U.S., but like over in the U.K., Brian Blessed is like, he's almost like the patron saint of the country. Like everybody just adores him, and rightfully so, because he's just amazing. Like just that kind of stuff you're talking about. But then, like, you get, like, things. apparently, I think he used to work a lot with, uh, his father used to be, uh, work a lot with animals. But I think he himself goes out of his way to, like, get, you know, orangutans taken back to their home country and stuff like that. But hmm. he's always got all these crazy stories of, like, people going into his kitchen and they'll have, like, a panther there or something. Like that. <laughs> and he's just very, very relaxed about it all because he's just, like, apparently when he, used to, he hangs around a lot with gorillas when he's, like, you know, dealing with them. And like the gorillas think he is a gorilla, so he's just been like he'll have all these stories of like him been essentially sexually harassed by gorillas. So he's always very like, oh, it wasn't a problem, you know. It just, you just tell them to stop it. It's fine. And it's just everything about him. Like, this guy is awesome. Like you know, plus he seems like he's invincible as well. So it's kind of like, but you know, and what happens here in the minute where like you know he's squaring off with the 
Katanga from uh, Raiders of the Last right. Ark here. There's no doubt in my mind who would win that fight. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Like, I was like, this, this guy's going to wipe the floor with him, pretty much. But luckily, luckily for him, it is, you know, so, something happens to intervene, really. But. He's very old school, tough guy, obviously fit, but it's not a guy who necessarily looks the best with his shirt off at the beach and he's not sculpted. <laughs> it's not like, a, you know, the six pack. It doesn't look like Chris Evans from the Captain America movies where it's like, wow, the guy obviously works out. He doesn't look like he works out. He just looks like he goes out and he's just bull strong and maybe, you know, probably wrestling Panthers, protecting himself sexually from orangutans <laughs> and just grit tough. And also looks like a guy who likes it, likes to eat a steak Likes to like throw, eat, just eat a couple raw potatoes with his steak, like that sort of like manly, hairy, hirsute uh, guy. And uh, mm. you don't really see that anymore because we're now in the age of great nutrition and workout programs and personal trainers, and everyone is is buff. But I think you lose something because it it, it feels like a product of the gym. And Brian Blessed doesn't look like he he does not look like he's ever stayed like spent a minute in a gym he's too busy like outside lifting up his car or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i just had an epiphany based on all this new information about him with the animals he's gonna he can be Craven the hunter if they ever do that in spider-man oh yeah, oh, totally. yeah. i don't think anyone would complain too it'll be just like if you pitch that to marvel they're like holy crap why did we not think about that before yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, get straight away. and how old is, is how old is blessed now uh, let's see. He is, I think he's about 80. I think he's about 80 by now. I've seen some, uh, I think I saw an interview with him not too long ago. He still does personal appearances, book tours, whatever. And he, he just looks like the same guy with a little bit of gray in his hair, but this like, he just, I saw a picture of him. I just saw a picture of him laughing and you could still hear the laugh because it just comes <laughs> out of him. A lot of the appeal of him as well is that like when he does do appearances, is that he's so, he's always so jovial. And he's always so, like, openly eccentric and just so, like, instantly him about everything. Because he has no shame in, like, you know, some people, uh, you know, you know Harrison Ford is kind of, like, infamous for, like, eh, he's not too into Star Wars and stuff like that. But, like, um, Brian Blessed will happily talk about Flash Gordon if you bring it up to him. And, like, there's a... I'll have to send you guys the link because there's a, a famous, uh, like, British panel show called um, Have I Got News for You. It's a real staple. Where it's like a like a weekly satirical panel show that uh, has a different host every week. But they have the, uh, the two captains of the team. Is a Ian Hislop is a very kind of wry satirist, and Paul Merton, who's another one who's a bit sillier, but he always keeps his very stoic, straight face, and um, his stuff's a bit more broad and stuff. But he's usually able to sit and just like. You know, no matter what's going on, like they'll be talking about the news of what happened that week, and the kill Paul Merton and stuff will be cracking jokes, and they always have a straight face. And there was an amazing episode where Brian Blessed was the host, and like he came on, and the entire time, like both Paul Merton and Ian Hiphop were absolutely pissing themselves laughing the entire way, just by Brian Blessed just being himself, just him just coming out with things and messing up his lines, and just been like, you know. If, if he fluffed something, he would just be like, oh, fuck, sake, I'm, 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 I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. And he was just really <laughs> rolled with everything. And at the, the, I remember, like, his opening uh, bit is that, you know, they'll have a, a read it off a bit of a cue card of, like, what's happened during the week. And this was back when Gordon Brown was prime minister. And he came out and he was just like, oh, some people are saying 
that uh, Gordon Brown's career as prime minister is dead. But I am here to say that Gordon's alive! <laughs> <laughs> he was loving it. And it was just amazing to watch. So, like, yeah, absolutely fantastic, man. Happy to see him on screen at any given time. Yeah. Yes, and Star Wars fans would not know his face necessarily if you've never seen this movie, but he did the voice and motion capture for Boss Nass from The Phantom Menace. That, that's uh, the leader of uh, uh, the Jar Jar Binks people. And, you know, he kind of sort of looks like Boss Nass even. Yeah, it does. It does. I think you can actually get a bit, because he's done an autobiography, and uh, I haven't uh, read the whole thing. Like, I, I want to get the audio version because he reads it himself. But I do remember oh. when it came out, they had um, like a preview, and it was him talking about getting the script pages for episode one. And he's kind of very apologetic about what he's, what, you know, what he's about to say, but he's really like he was brought into like a private office and sat down just by himself with a fax machine, and they had to fax in the script to him because it was all very uh, you know, top secret and stuff. And he's kind of talking about it like, uh, things were coming in, and I'd read a bit, and I thought, well, we'll see where this is going. And after about 15 pages, I started thinking, this is a load of old tough. And he's just, he kind of comes to the realization, of like, oh, this film is awful, but I've agreed to do it, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't say that he lays out during episode one, because for better or for worse, Boss Nass is like, he's, he's giving it his all with the performance. <laughs> yes, he is, yeah. As we love Brian Blessed, we love the character he plays, which is Voltan. And here's a little background on Voltan from the comic strip. Uh, he actually starts out and Flash first appears. He's sort of not a good guy or a bad guy. He's kind of in between. He is against Ming, but he doesn't outwardly do anything against him because he's afraid of getting reprisals. And he has a lecherous side, lusting after Dale, which we do see in this movie. Uh, however, Zarkov saves his city, and after that, he then joins Flash's team, and he has several wives in the original comics, one of whom tries to kill Dale because she's jealous of Dale. He just he does seem like the guy that would have a lot of wives. He's a very, uh, he's very Henry VIII uh, yeah. guy with a lot of wives, a, a lot of food, a lot of sport. and I remember... Um, English teacher talking about Henry VIII is like you just have to understand he would uh, visit other kingdoms and he would be there first thing in the morning and he would hunt and he would uh, drink and he would eat and he would eat and then he would hunt some more and by the time he left uh, the, the, uh, everyone at the uh, kingdom he just left would be exhausted because no one could keep up with him and I and first off that's how Brian Blessed looks it just looks like he's up and he's like okay give me five steaks and uh, two women and let's go from there and. <laughs> And it's a perfect marriage of character and actor because yeah. that's what, who the character should be. Like I don't think it'd be even strictly wise. I think he's just a, a guy who goes out and parties, and I guess whoever's to slip into the bed with him. I'm not here to judge. I'm like, hey, I'm heart first. Like, you know, who, who am I to, to care about genitalia? You know, <laughs> <laughs> a, a true libertine. A true libertine. <laughs> recording this, it's not too long after a story just came out about. Marlon Brando apparently having a dalliance with Richard Pryor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In the 70s. And somebody said, uh, like Richard Pryor's widow said, it's like, eh, it was the 70s. There's a lot of quaaludes. That was the era, (laughs) and I'm paraphrasing here, that was the era where you would take some drugs, you would, uh, you know, bang a radiator, and then send it flowers the next day. (laughs) And uh, and I agree. I, I think it's just sort of the same thing where, I, I could see uh, Volton 
the next morning, he like wakes up in the bed. He's like, well, there's three women, two guys, a billing goat, and hey, a radiator. That doesn't even belong on this planet. <laughs> All right, everybody, I'm going to make some pancakes. Anybody hungry? <laughs> the actual story of like Pryor and Brando too. I didn't that nile that. Because that is a real whole like well it was the seventies. You know, it's, it's that whole decade has a thing of, like I think everyone was doing everything back then. You just get that vibe. But, like I know even like the early two thousands, Brando was living with Jack Nicholson. Like they shared a house. And I think like uh, I really just like I would have loved if they had like a reality T V show about what the hell was going on in that house. Because, you know, between Jack and Brando's weird appetite. There's something, there's some some entertainment you could wring out of that concept for sure. Sure. I think there's a thing where if you're Brando, and people forget when you think of Brando, you think of towards the end of his life when he was heavy set and morbidly obese. He was really bad into his mumbly face. He was so weird and the island of Dr. Moreau stuff. But Marlon Brando in his 20s and 30s was the best looking human being on the planet. He was Diesel mixed with Robert Redford, mixed with Chris Evans, mixed with Brad Pitt, uh, with Daniel Day-Lewis's talent. He was, if you go back and watch him in Streetcar Named Desire, he just oozed charisma. And there's a thing of, if you, from your, tw- and people, women would be throwing him, I read an excellent uh, biography about Brando, and women mm. would just be throwing themselves at him. And and men would be throwing themselves at him. There was a, a story of um, Gore Vidal, like trying to think of ways that he could, you know, offer a part that Brando would be willing to sleep with him for because he just <laughs> really wanted a piece of Brando. And if you're going through that from your from your like late teens, early twenties, where women are throwing themselves at you and all the drugs and stuff, it's like eventually, eventually you get bored. You're going to try anything. It's like, well, there's Nicholson. Why not? <laughs> but that's uh, not what we're talking about. <laughs> no, in fact, if, if, uh, we all love Voltan, but there's someone else in the movie, at the very least, that I love even more, and he makes his first appearance now. And Brad, I'm going to, in Pulp Fiction, uh, John Travolta uh, says to Sam Jackson, if you, know, if you ever hear if a man apologizes, you, know, you, 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 you forgive him. So I'm going to apologize in advance for the beeping you're going to have to do, giving you a little extra work. But as Ming enters the screen, all I can think is, what a f***ing entrance. Ming is a role that could not happen in a movie today. You could not have Max von Sydow playing this Fu Manchu-ish with the basically yellow face, the way they do up his eyes and everything, and come in with the, the, the mock ceremonial Asian garb and... But, Damn it! It is a great entrance. Not too long ago, they did a, a TV, like a Sci-Fi Network show, where they twisted themselves in half trying to figure out a way to make Ming work. They didn't. Or and even um, in Iron Man Three, where the Mandarin was the bad mm. guy, and the Mandarin is a very Ming the Merciless type character. And again, they twisted themselves in half, making him English by way of India, by way of like mixing all these cultures and accents together. So it was like, well, it's sort of offensive to everyone. <laughs> well, I actually first know Ming and Flash Gordon from is from the uh, the Defenders of the Earth cartoon show from like the, the early eighties, and uh, mm-hmm. like on that I remember they just he was like an alien, he was just, he had green skin. So if I was doing it, I'd be like, well, just just lean into that. Like he's he's not supposed to be in any way 
like a, an earthbound thing. He's like he is completely different, you know, intergalactic culture is, that what, mm. is what he belongs to. And some of his things should look a bit Asian. Like, hey, that's just where that's a nod to the character's origin. Leave anything uh, too blatant about it without the past here, because you don't want to invite that that kind of thing into your house, really, do you? But but uh, I will say though, like, yeah, this this entrance is absolutely amazing. You guys sort of covered it already, though. But the the blast to the rocket ship, though, you do see a flash of me. So did you yeah, take that yeah. to be like, did he himself fly down to do that? Or is it symbolic or what's the deal? Yeah, it's, we actually, that actually, that specific point, we discussed that when we were on that minute. We were wondering, was he personally there or was that some kind of phantasm of him? Uh, and, and we decided that that was him, that he enjoys the destruction so much. He said, you know what, I, I think I'm personally going to go take out this plane. That's what makes Ming fun. He's just evil. And is any way that you can think of he's evil, he's evil. He's got a real weird relationship with his daughter. He's dismissive. He, he's psychotic. And then you have a great actor just lapping it up and, you know, eating every bit of, you know, chewing on every bit of scenery that he can. And listen, I love, as we're recording this, it's the week after Black Panther came out and I saw Black Panther and it has a great bad guy because it's a bad guy that you can relate to. It's one of those bad guys where he actually has a point, but he goes too far. Right. Ming is not that guy. Ming is like, (laughs) I just like being evil because it's fun to blow stuff up. And, yeah, Ming is like the emperor in Star Wars. It's just he is just evil, and that's just I'm evil because I'm evil. Yeah, unlike the emperor, and the emperor in Star Wars has a great bad guy, but he's also cloaked, and his face is mutilated, and he's like a, a, a decrepit old man. Not Ming. It's like this guy, colorful and cocky. And he loves monologuing. Yeah, oh yeah. It, 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 so there's a, there's a fundamental difference of yeah between. Uh, like, you know, Ming and Palpatine is Palpatine is a guy, he's, he's a, uh, a delegator. Like, he's got Vader to do all his stuff for him. And then he is just like, yeah, he goes around these sort of comfy looking robes and he's all shadowy and you don't see him until the third movie. But, like, yeah, Ming's out front wearing very flamboyant clothes. And you see him later on and stuff, like, you know, he's got a sword on him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, he's ready to go. And then he gives him yeah. this. This is a guy who's not going to be like, oh, Clyde is sticker that for me. It's very yeah. much more like, Hey, if I can do it, I will. It's one of those bizarre things. Like, I actually almost kind of want more like a, a movie about the rise of Ming. To see, like, how did he get to this position? Like, was he oh. was this a man born into like crazy intergalactic privilege? Is he like a kind of um, almost like a Genghis Khan kind of character? Like, oh, he storms invades all around him. Like, what, what what's his deal? Yeah, there was a, a few years ago. There was um, I don't know which publisher did it, but there was a, a limited a comic book limited series that was about the rise of Ming and him getting to the point where he was. And I, I, it's from a few years ago, so I don't really remember well. But I, I remember his. I believe he kills his father. The the, the classic story of him overthrowing his father father to become the. And I, I mean, it was okay. I didn't think it was great, but you know, it was basically okay. But I mean, you know, it was just that one publisher's comic book attempt at. Uh, an, an origin for Ming, so it's you know it's just one story that's not necessarily the official Ming origin story. Another thing though is uh, you know the, the Palpatine as well. So he seems to be a man of limited public appearances, whereas Ming here has like people literally chanting his name as he as he comes mm. out. Although I do think it's a bit of a weird kind of cart before the horse ch- uh, chant because like oh hail Ming hail uh, you know ruler of the universe. It's like oh that's big. 
<laughs> and it's like, oh, hail, make hail, emperor of the galaxy. And it's kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> kind of, he's already ruling the universe. I'm thinking, I'm thinking he's in charge of the galaxy as well. So he should have reversed that guy as he filled up to it. The costume, uh, and the costume, little, little background info for everyone here, it weighed over 70 pounds, and so he could only stand up for a few minutes at a time when he was actually uh, wearing that costume. The thing is, though, that was Brian Blessed's plan thing, he would have been no problem. <laughs> <laughs> he would have thought he's wearing a bathrobe or something. He's like, oh, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if either one of you noticed this, but also like when he, when he, the very beginning of the shot, when Ming's first walking up the steps, when he first enters the the the, the scene, I'm wondering if this is because the costume was so heavy. But I noticed he's holding like the sides of his pants out, almost oh. like like he would have tripped on it, almost like he's wearing a skirt or something. And as he's walking up the steps, and it just it's very unruler of the galaxy ish. That's the problem with cloaks or capes or stuff like that. Steps all of a sudden become a real challenge, and it's not easy to look too tough while you're doing that. I uh, I grew up a pro wrestling fan, and there's a wrestler who's been around forever, a guy called The Undertaker, and he's like the biggest, baddest guy, and he comes out in this like black leather jacket. The problem is he then has to walk up steps, so all of a sudden the toughest six foot seven, 300-pound guy who beats everybody up, and he's like, uh, he's like, Oh, got to lift up my jacket, the, pants, the, the skirt of my jacket. I was like, oh, that, that doesn't look good at all. And that's the problem with the robe. It's uh, sort of like what they talk about in the movie Incredibles, how capes are dangerous. It's like anything that uh, is touching the floor like that, because I don't think Ming, if, if Ming were to trip on steps, he'd have to kill everyone in the room. <laughs> totally. Although that kind of thing always makes me think of uh if you guys ever watched like the you know the old Doctor Who, like the like the Tom Baker era when he had the big long scarf. And those episodes are so tense because the entire time I'm just watching on it, he's gonna trip on that scarf. Because it sounds <laughs> half his feet. And it's just like why 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 did they introduce this element? Like this is just a thing. I guarantee you there's loads of footage of Tom Baker tripping up over that scarf. Why introduce it at all? Or why not just cut it back a bit so it's up, it sounds like his knees or something? But every time, like, it, it's just, it's, I can't be comfortable watching the episodes. I'm like, it's going to trip on that damn scarf. It's funny. This ties into, uh, Niall, your, your show, Batman uh, 89 Minute. Uh, I remember reading it. It's, God, this was a lifetime ago. But I remember reading an interview with the um, scriptwriter, uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, the screenwriter. And he said there was a draft of Batman where... Batman was chasing the Joker on a train, and the screenwriter wanted to address the fact that, you know, capes are ridiculous. And, of course, they try to make it work with Batman where it's bulletproof or that's something to help protect him where he can use it to glide. But in that scene that wasn't filmed, it got caught by the train and, like, dragged him or, like dragged him away from the Joker, and he got beat up pretty bad because he had a cape. And, of course, that's not really the point of Batman. And also I think that was an earlier treatment where they didn't really know – where they thought for periods of time they thought they were going to have a Joker who was more of a physical equal to Batman, and then they went with Joker who was more of a final boss guy. That happens in, uh, in, to one of the uh, – in Watchmen, in the beginning of Watchmen, one of the characters that's like one of the original uh, Minutemen, he dies because he wears a cape and he's chasing a bad guy through a revolving door, and the cape gets caught in the revolving door and he, and he gets strangled. <laughs> Shout out to Watchmen Minutes, who uh, also started now as well. So. Yes, uh, as we're recording this, this is on President's Day, 
And it is the President's Day minute-by-minute extravaganza because uh, this is the day um, our pilot episode of Flash Gordon Minute came out as well as the first episode of Watchmen Minute. And then there were two other shows, uh, Everlasting Minute and... Indiana Jones and the Last oh. Crusade. Right, so... so but, but it was you know. like a... Mistake to, to bring us back to, to the minutes, though. Like, I, I really, really love the music here. And uh, I know that you can get now, like, Howard Blake's original, like, the treatment he did of the music for this, and it's nowhere near as good. Uh, I was just wondering, do you guys have, like, an, an opinion on that? Because, like, I, I love this because some people say, oh, it sounds really dated and kind of cheesy to have this really hard synth and it sounds a bit hokey, but I was like, that totally adds to the whole thing because this is based on pulpy sci-fi material. And it's, it's, you know, it's very much leaning into its own cheesiness. Like, oh, well, part, part of the reason that Ming's entrance is so awesome is we get our, our latest Queen song on the soundtrack, which is called Ming's Theme in the Court of Ming the Merciless. Uh, and this one was written by Freddie Mercury. Uh, and uh, a little tidbit that people may find incredibly boring or may find interesting, but I'm going to say it anyway. At 2 minutes and 53 seconds, this is the longest song on the soundtrack that is not part of the opening or closing credits. I was astounded to find that, though, because like, this is awesome. And I, I, I'd always heard that like, Queen had written the soundtrack like together, because I, I always thought, like, oh, it made sense because the... You know, the, the, obviously the classic Flash theme of this. The, 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 the. I, they, they, I remember them saying, that, oh, we watched the movie and we wrote it as we watched it. And I always got the vibe, like, were they just standing around with the instruments, not, you know, wrapped up in the movie, <laughs> just going, dun, dun, dun. and they're kind of like, oh, shit, yeah, we remember this up. <laughs> and they're just going to go, Flash! Uh, there you go. The real shocker to me was, I, I think the best piece of music in the film is the, like, the love theme, or the, the in the capsule. And I was shocked to find out that it's attributed to Roger Taylor. Yeah, yeah they, they, they wrote the songs. They did not write the songs as a group. They each wrote, like, a couple of the songs on the soundtrack. But it was a tough pill to swallow because Queen over here, they're still, like, a very much... They're, uh, they're a bit of an institution. But there's a lot of resentment towards them now because, like, Queen, essentially, to most people, died with Freddie Mercury. Because not only did he go after that... John Deacon kind of offered out as well. He doesn't, you know, do anything really. He sort of, and particularly within the, the when Queen were going, John Deacon seemed to be a very reluctant member. If you ever see any of the videos, it always looks like he just wants to jump off a cliff rather than actually still. <laughs> it, it's just bizarre though, that Brian May and Roger Taylor still insist like, no, this is we are Queen. We are going around. We're still touring. We'll get in whoever to cover for Freddie. Just accept that the band's over and move on and do different things. But they still keep like hauling out the corpse of Queen to flog it you're in front of you. I was like, dude, just stop already. What, what you? And they were the ones who insisted, apparently, I've heard, you know, they were doing the, the Queen biopic, uh, had Sasha Baron yeah. Cohen, and it's been taken over by uh, Rami Malek now. But apparently the re- reason Cohen left was because Freddie dies mid-film. And he's like, well, I thought it was like the Freddie Mercury biopic. And they're like, no, it's about oh. Queen. And the second half of the movie is all about how Queen were perfectly fine. After Freddie died, <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen kind of rightfully went, well, nobody's going to want to see that. Like, that's not the movie people are here to, to watch. Mm. You're here to watch Freddie. And apparently, though, like, May and Taylor have quite a bit of creative clout on that project. Because of all that, there's a bit of resentment built up to the boys with those guys. Even though I'm sure they're perfectly mm-hmm. nice men. But uh, so then they'd be like, oh, that music's beautiful. Who wrote that one? And if I know it was Roger Taylor, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There, there may be just a little more acceptance of that sort of stuff in the States because, uh, what's it, uh, Leonard Skinner's 
been performing for 30 years after mm-hmm. their lead singer and creative force died. And people still go to the shows. And uh, Eric uh, has actually seen the one of the recent Queen tours with what, 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 who, who was lead, who was leading them on that, Eric? Yeah. Yeah, now don't now don't hate me now, Niall. But my wife and I went last year. Uh, we saw the, we saw the tour. Uh, Adam Lambert filled in as the lead singer. I waffled back and forth a lot on whether I wanted to go or not, specifically because it's not with Freddie Mercury. What finally made me decide to go see them was I wanted to see Brian May live. Uh, I said, that, you know, if I can hear him play those guitars and hear that in person, that that's okay then that Freddie won't be there. And so I went in with that attitude and I, you know, the guy, he shreds, you know? And so I was okay with Adam Lambert. You know, he comes out and says, I'm not Freddie Mercury. I'm not trying to be Freddie Mercury. Uh, So, you know, he sort of addressed that with the crowd right off the bat. And uh, I mean, Taylor and May sounded great. And that's what I was there to hear, you know? Oh, that's fair. It's like someone hands me a ticket to go see them. Of course, I would still be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that, because at mm. least you know they're going to be playing good songs. Right, uh, right. So, well, <laughs> plus, I will give a bit of respect to Brian May as a man who, he, he, he found a look for himself in the 70s, and he is sticking with that look. Like, he's never, there's never any, like, oh, maybe I'll get a haircut. No. <laughs> this is, this is the look. <laughs> well, here, here's a question for you. In, in England, in America, cover bands are a big deal. Like, uh, once every two months, in, uh, I live outside of, I live basically in between Philadelphia and Baltimore, a huge Bruce Springsteen area. Because uh, oh, yeah. Bruce Springsteen originally is from New Jersey. And there's a guy called, he calls his act Bruce in the USA. And he comes out and he performs like Bruce Springsteen songs, dressed as and performing in the style of Bruce Springsteen. And this guy yeah. makes a living doing this. And there's like Led Zeppelin tribute bands. And there's. Oh. And uh, I have a friend who's in a a um, Pink Floyd uh, cover mm-hmm. band, I guess the turn is. And they actually do right, like yeah. a stage show with visuals and stuff to look Pink Floyd as humanly possible. So that might be a reason why they're in also in a homegrown band. So there's a little bit of a different feel, you know, why perhaps there isn't as much anger about it because they don't belong to us. They, you know, they are a, a British a very very British band, but yeah. <laughs> are there cover bands and stuff like that in uh, Europe? Like, oh, totally. Like I, you know, because I'm living in Liverpool, which is right down the road from Manchester, so you get like a lot of like wealth of uh, the Smiths tribute bands. Although it's weird when you go see them because they all, it's the guy who's dressed up as Morrissey, but the rest of the band they're not dressing up as the rest of the Smiths. It's, it's just the guy who'll come out with a quiff and they'll swing the flowers about and stuff. They're like, oh yeah, totally. You get. Um, a lot of Stone Roses cover bands, and like any any of like you know Beatles cover bands, things like that. Uh, we've actually seen a couple of good ones in that. Um, I can't remember the name of them, but there's a band. I think they're called like like Elvarna or something like that. But it's it's guys who are a Nirvana tribute band, but they do it in the style of Elvis. So I think the guy comes out dressed like Elvis, and he'll do Smells Like Teen Spirit, and but he'll do it in that you know. He'll get really into doing it, swinging the hips and stuff. And like, I that bet that'd be awesome. I'm 100% on board for it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just, it's just a bit of fun. <laughs> so, but, oh, yeah, the cover bands I get. Um, surprisingly enough, not, not come across a Bruce Springsteen one. Although I think I would love to see that. But the thing is, I think Bruce himself is great, but uh, I think the experience of that is, is the E Street band themselves are all fantastic. 
So I'd want mm. a guy dressed up as, you know, Silvio from The Sopranos in the back there with the headband and stuff. Was <laughs> <laughs> like, it a little Stevie, I think? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, very cool. Well, uh, obviously, this is – oh, man, we are all over the place. This is, this is going to be a fun episode. Um, <laughs> well, Eric, what else do we have in this minute? Uh, I, I just, I wanted to run people through, uh, Niall, we like to, when, when an actor first shows up, I like to run them through, um, their credits. So, I mean, listen, Max von Sydow, I mean, the dude's a legend. He's been around forever. He's Ming. He's got two Oscar nominations. He's in the seventh seal. He's, he's the, the, the lead character, seventh seal, the famous scene everyone knows of playing chess versus death. He played Jesus in the greatest story ever told. He's of course, Father Marin in the exorcist. He's currently in game of thrones. Ooh. And as a Star Wars geek, um, when I heard that he was going to be in The Force Awakens when they announced the cast list a few years ago, um, I immediately ran to IMDb, which still had its message boards then, and I posted, the rest of this movie could suck, but it doesn't matter because Ming is going to be in it. The guy is a legend. And it's astounding that he's still doing such, like, it's, I guess he's kind of like um, in that kind of Christopher Lee sort of yeah. thing. Of like, yeah. You know, still... Because the guy must be about, like, 100 million years old by now. Because, <laughs> like, I've seen the seventh seal, and he looked about near 40 in that. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, he's still going strong, still making fantastic, like, big, big events. Though. But his name is still not the draw. But you are like, oh, Max Vincent on this. This is going to be cool. And, uh, much, again, much like Christopher Lee, it's like, oh, he's playing Sarah Man. Like, what? Jeez, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, it is absolutely uh, legendary actor. It's very safe pair of hands pretty much as well. It's kind of like, if nothing else, you do know, well, we could, you know, the director could completely balls up the rest of this, but at least you'll get one good performance out of somebody there who right. at least to come in and just knows what he's doing. Yeah, he was obviously the big name they got for the movie. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and there was a lot of that during this era where, okay, we don't need to have a name guy as the hero, but let's get... Uh, an Oscar-caliber a- actor as the bad guy, similar to what they did with uh, Superman. Uh, but Christopher Reeves was a nobody, but they had Brando and Gene Hackman, uh, right. who I believe both got billing over Christopher Reeves in the first Superman film. <laughs> yes, they do. Well, it's not quite, I always thought that was weird. And uh, this is the posters for Apocalypse Now. I guess Martin Sheen was kind of like a dumb badland, so people knew who he was. But it is weird that that's like, Martin Brando, Robert Duvall. Martin Sheen. <laughs> He's in every damn scene. Those other two guys are not maybe 10 minutes together with the, the 1989 Batman. Because that is, you know, infamously, Michael Keaton was a very controversial casting choice. But it was very much like, Jack Nicholson's in it, guys. And this Michael Keaton fellow was also playing. Right, yep. Ignore Beetlejuice as the main guy. We still have the joke. Keaton was excellent in that. I don't want to take anything away from it. But it was a... I remember when that casting choice was made. I was like, Mr. Mom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like nowadays with that, it would be like, oh, they, if they got like Chris Pratt to play him, but then it's like, well, Chris Pratt is doing a big action part now, although he's still doing it in a very silly fashion. So, I think it's more the Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, I think, is, is a, is a, a, a That's what I was going to say. Mm. Paul Rudd, oh. because he's a mostly comedic actor, plus Chris Pratt, at least, if you send him to the gym and he works out, he's a big strapping guy. Michael Keaton was not a big guy. And even in yeah. Batman, it's pretty telling that I was the only guy to play Batman where they don't have him with his shirt off. Yeah. <laughs> because he's, well, you, he's you not an impressive one, guy. 
<laughs> you get one scene of him with a shirt off, but his back is to the camera. <laughs> like they have yeah. him he's hanging upside down. It's kind of like there's enough here to distract from the fact that this guy's not ripped. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people are you're already like, why is he upside down? Why is his back turned? Oh, the scene's over. You know, because zoom right past it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I would say Paul Rudd and and Ant Man. Ant Man at least wasn't supposed to be like a real badass character. It's not like he was Batman, but still, it was like. And I love I, I love Paul Rudd, and he was great as Ant Man. But it was still like, huh? So this isn't going to be a badass action hero, is what I'm hearing when they announced him as Ant Man. So, uh, but that's the closest I can come up with. One. Comic a little note. I know that this is already by far our longest episode ever, but uh, I just I find it humorous that we've got the Hawkmen and the Ardentians and all these you know big you know characters there, and then the little dwarf people are running around with their little swords, and you know I, I feel like the other Mongoli are like, oh that's sweet. You guys have swords, isn't that nice? You come up to my <laughs> ankle. Oh, don't stab my toe. Yeah, definitely, definitely. This uh, film's Ewoks. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. I don't think they do get like a little, another couple like first in the minute that like you know things you get to dwell on a lot more. Is that like I think is this the first, the first sighting of Princess Aura? I think it's the first time you see her. Is when... uh, yeah, it is. Um, it's it's a very quick shot. She's there for like two seconds looking at Flash. Um, I was I, I was I, I wanted to save my my big uh, intro for her till we really get to see her if you know what uh, I mean in a couple of minutes. That's funny. Like I've been there, where like something, like someone brings up something, and you're like, no, I'm saving it. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and then I think it's the first, the first lines of Clytus, or maybe that's next minute. I'm not too sure. I can't quite remember. Uh, I think th- I think that's tomorrow's episode. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Cut, 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 cut a lot out there. <laughs> All right, very good. Anything else for this minute, gentlemen? No. Uh, no, the other thing that I had was that uh, you know Melody Anderson because she gets you know the only line of this week that she has. Like, you know, are we dreaming? Like the whole, the whole premise of this movie, like you have to sort of vibe the fact that they're taking this so incredibly calmly, <laughs> like been thrown <laughs> into the craziest situation. Even when they're on Earth, how crazy that got. But she's just like, this is like the, the most sort of shock she seems to get. It's like, are we dreaming? But uh, the only other thing I know Melody Anderson from is uh, from Manimal, which yeah. is oh, we've, we've talked some Animal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> horrendous TV show because. Uh, like, me and my friends used to always, like, we were really intrigued by it because we kept hearing about it. And then one of them got, got me the box set of Manimal for my birthday, and we made it one episode in. And <laughs> we're like, no, no, sorry, no, we're out. Because it's not even, like, you know, hilariously funny bad. It's just, like, it's so boring. <laughs> oh, yeah, terrible show, terrible show. Yeah, yeah. It couldn't have been any more crappy 80s of a show. Yeah. The, yeah, I've never seen an episode of Manimal, but I just know at growing up in the 80s that it's a punchline without ever yeah. even yeah. seen it. Yeah, there's it's a handful it. of shows that are just symbolic of the crappiness of their era. So it's like in the in the 60s, I think it was My Mother the Car. In the 80s, <laughs> it was Manimal. It's, it, I, from the 90s, I guess it would have been like Saved by the Bell or Full House. Shows that regardless of how much success they have, are still symbolic of everything that was crappy about TV in that era. And Manimal was. Couldn't have been any more of a crappy 80s action show. This has been a great minute. Uh, anything else? No, no. Listen, we, we got we got Niall for two more days here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, not wear him out. He's going to miss Niall, his flight uh, back to Liverpool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's 
Yes, everyone. He's actually here in Geppetto Studio. So. <laughs> Flew in by rocket. It was a, I've never had to do that before. It was very exciting. Now, where can people find out more about uh, Batman 89? Batman at 89, which is a common Batman. mistake for people. <laughs> people always make. Yeah, Batman at 89. We probably should have called it like just Batman. And maybe, maybe it would have stuck more. <laughs> but yeah, we've got us all over. Like we're very Googleable. Uh, you get the show through all, you know, all your podcasts. We're on iTunes and Podcast Addict and Podbean and all that stuff. Uh, but if you want to talk to us, you can get us in a very general manner on Twitter, just through Batman at 89. Or if you wanna, if you get, like the show and you wanna get like more involved in like deep conversation, we have the Batman is eighty nine Listener Society, where in which uh, yeah, people just sort of it's very well, it's a fun group and people just come in and just dissect what either what we've talked about on the show or just Batman and you know Michael Keaton, Kim Basinger, Jack Nicholson stuff in general, and uh, yeah, we're happy to have anyone who wants to jump on board. I would recommend everyone uh, check that out and sign up and uh, rate and review. It's always great to have iTunes reviews. And, uh, Eric, where can people find out more about our little show, Flash Gordon Minute? Our fan page on Facebook, the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex, uh, or on Twitter, Flash Gordon Pod, or you can just send us a good old email, flashgordonminute at gmail.com. We recommend uh, also be sure you're subscribed to us, uh, you're listening to us somehow, and uh, rate and review us as well. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and Niall, we're looking forward to having you back tomorrow. Uh, and Erica, this has been a lot of fun, but I, I, I do have my worries. Yeah. It never really occurred to me that Brian Blessed is in Phantom Menace. And, and now I'm going to have to watch that movie again. Oh, well, listen, don't worry. If you have nightmares of Jar Jar Binks shenanigans and Darth Maul only having three lines and Asian stereotype Nymoidians running around. Don't worry, Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Oh, no.